Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is David Data. David is a best-selling and provocative author that continues to revolutionize the way that people grow spiritually and sexually. His 10 books are published in more than 25 languages, and David is regularly included in the Watkins Review Spiritual 100 list, designating the most spiritually influential people worldwide. Which sounds true, David has published numerous books over the years, including one of our all-time bestsellers, The Way of the Superior Man, which is now available in a special 20th anniversary edition with a new foreword by David. He's also the author of Dear Lover, Blue Truth, The Enlightened Sex Manual, and more. David Data is interested in how consciousness and light are polarities that call to be experienced in union. This is not about gender or sexual orientation, but about how we can choose to grow in the yogic art of intimacy. If we're interested in experiencing conscious light in two bodies at the same time. Here's my conversation with David Data. Welcome, David, to Insights at the Edge. Thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation. Hi, Tammy. Thank you. Sounds True has been distributing your books, and specifically the book, The Way of the Superior Man. We started distributing that book 20 years ago. And for the last 20 years, it has shown up as one of the best-selling titles year after year after year. And I wanted to start our conversation by asking you, what do you think is the special magic in the book, The Way of the Superior Man? <laughs> um, special magic, that's an interesting word. I don't know what the special magic is. I think it resonates, um, first of all, more women buy it than men. And so I think it resonates with a dimension of what people consider uh, the masculine. Um, I think gender-wise, things have changed a lot since I wrote that book, but the principles are completely universal and timeless, so they can always be applied to the, the time. Um, so since mostly women purchase the book, they're resonating with it. They often give it to their, their man. Um, 
I think that it speaks to a deeper part of the masculine. It's it has nothing to do with uh, you know like macho or being tough or strong or anything like that. And um, what it's really about is sourcing into the depth of consciousness. So you know these days there are quite a few well-known excellent teachers of consciousness, people who orient. Uh, our attention to who we are, the I am of being, the self, the being of the, the deepest part of our heart. Um, and that's when we go into that depth or recognize that depth or relax with that depth, immediately there's a deep silence, a deep stillness, uh, timeless, you know, unchanging. It doesn't even capture the depth of its immense timelessness. So that's what I call the masculine. That's what I call the masculine, not any particular behaviors necessarily or the way someone looks. But when a being tilts toward the recognition of who they are as deep consciousness, that's what I call the masculine tendency. And if nothing arises, there is nothing. Uh, there's just consciousness, perhaps like deep sleep as an analogy. But as soon as something happens, that means there's motion, that what would be silent, motionless peace of conscious being begins to vibrate. It doesn't even begin to vibrate. It's always vibrating. So it's it vibrates, and that vibration, that change, that energy, that modulation, that dance, that fluctuation is what I call the feminine. So everything, all modulations of consciousness, all experiences, all sensations, whether you're dreaming, whether you're awake, you know, in this moment, in any moment you are in, everything you perceive is this motion-filled vibration of energy, of life, of you know, livingness, differentiation, fullness. Now, all of us, men and women and any gender, it's totally gender-free, and I'm really happy, finally, <laughs> culture has caught up with that. But whatever, it doesn't even, it's not even human. You could be in a dream appearing as a bird or something. But the, the more you identify with that stillness in any moment, with the witness, the conscious being part of this moment, not really part, of course, but the, that, that aspect of this moment, that's a masculine tilt. And one's body becomes still and peaceful, and one's mind becomes clear, and you become very present. It has an immediate effect in the human body. Now, if one's interest or orientation tilts toward, not even toward, or as the vibrations, as the dance, if you feel yourself not as I am consciousness, but I am conscious light, I am, I am light, I am the light of love, I am the conscious light of love, but it has an effulgent feeling, that light, it has a, it is vibration, it's the nature of change, of motion, of, so when one, when any being is more tilting towards or interested in or identified with 
the light or energy aspect of this moment. We could call this moment conscious light. If we tilt toward the consciousness, that's the masculine tilt. If we tilt toward the light, it's the feminine tilt. And when any being tilts towards the light, their body becomes animated. It does not become still. Their, their emotions do not go to peacefulness. Their body does not go to stillness. When uh, one tilts or allows oneself to identify with the feminine, the force of the cosmos moves through us. Our, our hands and feet, our facial expressions, our emotions, our breath, they all become aligned with everything. The seasons, the moon, you know, cosmic forces, unseen forces. Uh, it's immense and unexplainable in as a whole. It's kind of analyzable, but it's, it is everything. That's everything the entire universe so that feminine is all power all all light um and so what the way of the superior man in the book although i i didn't want to go into that kind of spiritual depth in the book but the book is based on that recognition and so it's showing whoever's reading the book that if they allow themselves to know who they are as consciousness and then incarnate that into the body sexually and that doesn't necessarily mean sexual intercourse but in the, the sexual play of polarity because what we discover is that if if you if one if i if somebody tilts toward let's say the masculine that stillness so if somebody deeply feels i am consciousness i am silent peaceful being at my deepest core they will inevitably sexually attract someone who feels that they're living, blooming light, passion at their core. And those two then make up the full moment of the, the, the silent aspect of the moment, the constant aspect and the effulgent light aspect. And so in that in a relationship, and not all relationships do this, but this is what I write about in the way of the spirit of man. If you allow yourself to incarnate without fear, grounded in your deepest consciousness, if you allow yourself to incarnate that depth of silent presence, the, the power of consciousness itself, you will attract a partner who is the dance of the universe, whose body, mind, and emotions are as open to the cosmic flow of life force as you are relaxed as consciousness. And so you will get a spontaneous, alive partner who reveals the divine through his or her light or their light. And as you reveal the divine through your depth, your silence, your um, peace, the peacefulness of your being. So I think that that depth, although I didn't explicate it like that in the book, um, comes through. And so people read it of all kinds. I mean, it's uh, all kinds of people read it and go, yeah, this is, you know, I've had this in, this intuition that this is what I want. Um, this is the kind of partner I want, whether it's the masculine side or the feminine side. Now, again, not all people want that. Some people don't enjoy that play of polarity and all of that. But but that book was written specifically for the subset, and, and most of my books are written specifically for the subset of people who really enjoy that play 
true human bodies. Doesn't matter who plays which pole or you change it up. But so if you enjoy playing those poles, that book, Way of the Spirit of Man, and also Dear Lover, um, describe a kind of almost like a pure form, like primary colors of identity with the masculine, identity with the feminine. And if we got to it, you know, I'd like to expand that way beyond those books also, because we could identify with the masculine or feminine in our physical body, and then our body shows those qualities of light or consciousness. We could identify with the masculine or feminine in our emotional body, in which case our emotions are more light-like or grid-like. We could identify spiritually with the masculine or feminine. So if we identify spiritually with the masculine, then we call home that infinite, eternal present consciousness. But if we identify with the feminine, we call home the ongoing or, or eternal flow of love, of cosmic love. You know, there's no words for these things, but we identify with the fullness, with the flow. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in what you've already said, and I want to just ask a couple of questions and see if I understand some things and also go a little further. One, it's clear to me that as you're talking about these essences, a masculine essence or a feminine essence, that it's gender free. And also it doesn't matter if it's a heterosexual or a same sex relationship. Mm -hmm. So I get that. Now, when you started talking about how you could change it up, that got interesting to me. And also when you started talking about you could be masculine or feminine at the level of the physical body, the emotional body, the spiritual body in different ways. Now it's starting to get pretty complex. So I wonder if you could say more about that. I think most people would say, I pretty much identify as masculine or I pretty much identify as feminine. But you're saying, no, there's actually a lot more complexity to it. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not that, yes, there is more complexity to it. I was thinking, it's not exactly complex. I don't know what the word I would use interesting perhaps but um so we're multi-dimensional beings obviously and um let's just look at the physical part first the part of what we identify as like in the waking state we identify with the, the waking state body so you could kind of look down and in your experience you s see a body and it acts a certain way and then you could look at your partner, your sexual partner. And again, this doesn't apply to everybody, but I'm talking about the subset of people who enjoy polarized relationships. So you would look at your partner's body in your experience, and their body would look and move and act a certain way. So at the physical level, the way what I just described falls out is that the masculine identified body tends to be symmetrical, um, upright, aligned with gravity, uh, like the Buddha's body, like a very still, very, very still. And some extremely masculine identified people, they almost totally disregard their body, just becomes like a lump. But, but even highly yogic masculine bodies tend to be like uh, Buddha bodies or full of stillness. Now, they're sexually attracted in polarity to bodies that 
move, that, that dance, that the way they walk. So a masculine body sitting there in stillness, beholding a feminine body connected to the forces of the universe, connected to the you know, the ocean in their body, feeling the beauty of that immense force that the fem that's feminine body, like you said, it could be any gender, they're continuous with that force, that sexiness at the body level, and vice versa. If you identify with a fem, if you look down and you see a body in motion and curves and fullness and um, it doesn't like to sit still for long periods of time and so forth. Then what you tend to be attracted to at the physical level, if you're into polarity, is a body that's very present, that's not really fidgety, that's not really full of motion, that's not really squirrely, whose spine is not waving. So that's the physical level. And most people understand that, like they like a certain kind of presence in the body that they could depend on in the masculine or a certain kind of spontaneous flow of beauty in the feminine body. Um, but now let's go to the emotional level, perhaps. I mean, there's, there's many levels we could go to. Um, the, the, the mental level might even be a better way. So at the mental level, uh, if you are identified mentally with the masculine, then everything is in a kind of grid if you say, you know, I'll meet you at four o'clock tomorrow, in your reality, there really is a four o'clock tomorrow. It's on the grid tomorrow, four o'clock. And um, if you have identify with a feminine mind, your mind understands what four o'clock tomorrow means, but it's not on a grid. It's more like on an ocean. <laughs> and the, the, the I have a much more feminine mind than a, a masculine mind, for instance. So I could almost never give a grid-like answer it just kind of flows creatively. Now, I have a masculine emotional identity and other identities, so I could kind of um, meet that within myself, and we could get to that later, how we could do, do these sexual practices within ourselves. But at the emotional or at the mental level, rather, one partner will tend to have a grid-like mind, uh, A, B, C, D, E, not A, B, C, orange, pecan. <laughs> um, and the feminine mind, again, is much more connected to non-grid-like flows. There's an intelligence to the feminine mind. Well, there's a specific intelligence to each mind that's useful in different occasions, but the intelligence of the feminine mind is much more connected to, you know, elemental flows to um, non-linear, non-verbal, non-rigid uh, Things. We could come back to that, but they, what happens in an intimacy is the person with the masculine mind would say, well, didn't we agree yesterday that we we're going to do blankety blank today? And the person with the feminine mind will go, yeah, but you know, because their mind doesn't work. So that results in all kinds of things at the mental level. Now, it could be that you have a masculine identified body and a feminine identified mind. I have that, for instance. Um, so my partner, I'll be sexually attracted to people who have feminine identified bodies and masculine identified minds. They'll be much more organized than me. They'll be able to keep a calendar better than me. They'll be able, if you look at their drawers, they'll be more organized than me. So uh, let's take it a little farther. So at the, the, the emotional level, um, 
the masculine emotions are like good and bad. <laughs> you know, the, the masculine emotions are just basically functional. Like, how are you? I'm okay. I'm not great. I'm, I'm getting by. Feminine emotions, again, are kaleidoscopically connected to such diversity and multiplicity that even just asking a someone who has feminine emotions, again, any gender, asking someone who has a feminine emotional identity, how are you feeling? Just as they speak, it changes the emotion. Like as the words are coming out of their mouth, the emotion changes because they're speaking about it. And so if a feminine person were to say how they felt, it would change immediately. And it's, so it's very difficult for a feminine person to ever like pin down how they feel. But for a masculine identified person, it's very simple. Look, I feel angry. I'm good. I'm, um, but to me, the most interesting because of the time it is, is at the spiritual level or at the identity of light and consciousness, because there are a lot of people practicing practices now. And if you have a masculine identity at that level, then consciousness practices are going to resonate with you. They're going to be feel like home. It'll be you know, self-authenticatingly true that I am consciousness. If you have a feminine identity at that spiritual level, it is obviously true that I am light. Now, of course, we are conscious light. There's no difference, but I'm talking about that sexual polarity again. So if, if you, well, specifically, people who start going like to a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies and uh, use a lot of cannabis and things that are highly feminizing, mentally, emotionally, and especially spiritually, then their partners would have to go to the silent side. And so there's a lot of functional things you can start working with from this, where even at the spiritual level where one partner accesses their depth or who they are, or what the nature of existence is through I am consciousness and the, or I am silence and the other partner finds that kind of boring or just not interesting. Yes. They know that they can see their consciousness, but they're moved by love. They are moved by a force. They are moved. They are motion. It's not even that they are moved. They are the you know, dancing incarnation of love on earth. So though, there's polarities at every level. So someone like me, I tend to have a highly feminine mind, but a more masculine body and a more masculine emotional uh, disposition and a more masculine spiritual disposition. I prefer to just live in silence. Um, but that means my partner, a sexual partner, who, or if they happen to resonate with me at all those levels, and not always does your partner resonate with you at all those levels in polarity, and then you have conflict. But if they did kind of connect with me in polarity at all those levels, they would have, they would spiritually be identified as light. They would uh, emotionally be identified as that complex. You know, it's hard to put words on it, effulgence of emotions. They would be mentally identified with a flow state as opposed to a grid state. And they'd be physically identified, excuse me, they'd be, they'd be identified with the grid state because they would be masculine in their mind to match my feminine mind. 
And then their body would be more in motion than mine. And my, my body would tend towards stillness, meaning literally like during sex or at any time, my body would want to just kind of be still and their body would kind of want to move. Just, just mm-hmm. vice versa yeah. at every level. Now I get this, David, I think, as a kind of, if you will, typology of masculine and feminine tilt in these different aspects of our being and how that would help me know and talk about a matching typology that would be complementary to me, bring out the best in me, turn me on the most if I was interested in polarity. Yeah, I'd want the polar complement. I get that. Now, if I'm just a person working within myself, identifying where I have more of a masculine tilt or a feminine tilt in each of these different areas, how does that help me? How does this help me evolve as an individual? Well, there's several ways, but I wouldn't make that jump so quickly. To me, this is a a tool specifically to be used in polarized relationships. Okay. So so everything we've been talking about is, you know, like a screwdriver is used for screws and a hammer is used for nails. No, no, that's good. That's helpful. It helps helps me understand it. So I would say that this was all, these tools are not built for that, but they could be Mm -hmm. applied that. So if you're asking me to apply it, I could, but it's not native. Let's stick with this tool for this polarized charge in relationships. And now I'm going to have to come forward with this. You and I have talked about this before, David, and you're very straight ahead. In the way of the Superior Man book, you write that about 10% of the population are people that you would call neutrals, who have a neutral sexual essence or are not going for this charge of polarity. And I think I fit that category. And if your numbers are right, and that's one of my questions is, where did you get this number? Then approximately 10% of our listeners also fall into this category. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about that, just so the people who are listening, who maybe are neutrals, can keep that in mind and relax with it. (laughs) Okay, wow, there's a lot in there I could respond to. So first of all, the book was written, of course, more than 20 years ago. And that was my ex- personal experience. I didn't, although my background is as a scientist, I, this is not a scientific test from a large sample. This is a like a clinical slash anecdotal in my personal experience from more than 20 years ago. These days, it's more complex because so many people now have loosened their various fixed identities that that tends to neutralize people. It tends to balance people. So I would say it's a higher percentage these days of people whose doesn't matter that much to play in polarity or, or, or they like to play in polarity near the balanced part. Um, so, so there's a lot in there we could go into, um, but let's start at the top. Some people will thrive. I'm just gonna talk about the spiritual level of this. So you're an individual. Um, It would be okay whether you felt like sitting and being being, meaning you identify with the masculine at that level as an individual. It would also be okay if you hated that. So there's a lot of people, for instance, who the idea of like sitting on a cushion facing a wall or some version of that for an hour in silence is excruciating. There's nothing in there that they are. They could, so those kind of people shouldn't feel 
guilty, they may dance. Now, a balanced person just means, or a person who's near the center of it, that they could possibly do both. Now, how do I say this? Everyone can benefit from, let's say, sacred dance, which is a feminine uh, practice, and sitting in silent being, which is a masculine practice. Knowing where you are on that spectrum just helps you to relax with a kind of percentage. Like, are you going to spend, I'm making this up, of course, you know, are you going to spend 80% of your time in a spiritual practice in silent meditation and then 20% of your time in sacred dance? Is that what's going to most fully develop you as a spiritual being? You don't have to, and again, if you had a partner, it would probably be very different. But as if we're not talking about partners now, that would be one way to use this to develop as a being. And if you were more balanced, you would probably do both sides fairly equally. So if you strongly prefer one or the other, then you're not balanced at that level. Um, and I, we could go down through each level. So as an individual, how it would matter where you identified? Like, we could, do you want to pick one or do you want to guide this for me so I know what to address for you? Well, I think what I'm actually asking inside myself is this knowledge can help me, as you say, it's a tool for polarized relationships. So it can help me understand the charge that I feel, the sexual charge yeah. in a relationship. Or the repulsion or the frustration or the boredom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how to pick a partner that would be a good match for me. So I get that. Or how to play the yoga in partnership so both of you are, are getting the fullness of the relationship. Yeah, how to play that. So how to play that yoga, I'm interested in understanding more about that. That's not clear to me yet. And I think that would be helpful. I'm trying to understand how to apply this in a way such that the person is going to grow. They're really going to grow as a person by applying this model in their relationships. Well, to me, growing, <laughs> um, to answer that question, I need to tease apart a few other things, I think. But Please, go for it. Um, it's all yours, David. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I don't, you know, we only have a limited period of time, and I really want to address what you feel would be the most useful for people. Um, but to me, growing as a person means that you're fully in the moment, authentic with yourself, not resisting the moment. Uh, you know, embracing everything as it comes up, working with it, but without resistance, um, fully expressing yourself. You know, there are many dimensions to growing as a person. And mm -hmm. that, again, is not my, there's a lot of people who teach that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a, so, so growing as a person is super important. I, I'm not, you know, it's like, so, but growing as a person is very specific. Like, um, to grow as a person, you take, you time things a certain way. Like, so you could heal one way. So there's different forms of growth. One form of growth is healing. And you could ask like, how can you use this to heal, to grow through healing? And I, again, I would say, well, healing is a specific function. It, it requires care and patience. Things heal at their own rate. You can't rush them. It takes a lot of space and respect. Um, the, the vibration, the arena for healing well, like a hospital, but but just it's very safe. It's very caring. It's very supportive to heal. Um, 
that again is not what the emphasis of this work is. And then another form of growth would be growing in an art form or in a yoga. So a sexual yoga, for instance, or sexual art or painting or music. And to grow, let's say, whatever, as a dancer, you do not play it safe. You specifically press your boundaries. So to grow in your art form, whether it's a, your sexual art or your as a writer or as you know whatever you consider you want to grow in as an artist or as a practitioner, as a, you there are times where you completely just go at an easy pace, but there are also times to specifically grow where you're working against old patterns. So it takes effort, it takes work, it takes sometimes it helps to have someone really pushing you. Um, whereas it, to, to heal, you don't want anyone pushing you, you want someone supporting you. So it's a totally different arena, a different vibe. And again, that then, if we said, like, how do you apply these principles to sexual yoga or the yoga of intimacy? then it, it's not exactly growing as a person, but it's growing in the art of intimacy. And you can become very good in an art and still not be healed, right? So we could come back to that in a second. There, there's a whole other category of growth, which people call spiritual growth, I guess. And the way I, I separate that from the second category of yogic growth or art growth, and to me, spiritual growth is in this present moment, recognizing it's perfection, you know, I am conscious light. And that takes no time at all. It takes practice to stabilize in that recognition, especially under stress. But that recognition is not really growth. Like, if, especially if you if you make that recognition in the future, like a growth thing, it, you miss it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I think this is good. You're making some really important distinctions. So that's helpful. And I'm interested for this conversation, yes. to, if it's okay, to grow mm. in the art of intimacy, the mm. yogic path of growth, how we can use this model you've laid out of masculine and feminine essences in different forms of expression in different parts of us. Mm -hmm. How do we grow in the art of intimacy using this model? Well, it would depend on um, again, these are, none of this is systemic, it's, and especially with my mind. It's all applied to a very specific situation. So if people, if a couple came to me in intimacy, let's say, and um, one partner said, I would like to go farther, deeper in this intimacy, but I don't trust fully this partner or I don't feel he or she or I don't feel they're here with me so then we would dive into that and these tools come to work immediately because most masculine identified people would think that they're present when they feel presence. <laughs> so when, when a masculine person feels themselves as consciousness, they think other people feel them as sexually present, but that's not true. So by learning how a feminine and identified body requires a masculine identified body to display 
that natural consciousness, learning that as an art, not just like from childhood, like plop, like this is how you be a sexual partner, like, you know, like from porn or whatever people learn it from. But how do you allow consciousness to articulate through your body sexually? How, or conversely, how do you allow the force of light to articulate through your body sexually? Now, for when you start doing that, and, and sexually, again, I don't necessarily mean intercourse. I just mean you know, it could be at the dinner table. It could be sitting on the couch together. Just a big part of it is the, the physical body is usually where people start. And so if your throat, for instance, is constricted, if your heart is constricted, if your belly is constricted, the first thing to do would be to completely relax that central channel, the soft parts of your body down the front, your tongue, your throat, your heart, your belly, your solar plexus, your genitals. And if that parts of, if people practice enough that that their body is responsive enough, soft enough, alive enough, not clamped down in that area. And sometimes that takes some work to open up, but when the body's open like that, there are very specific exercises you could do, for instance, to bring the depth of masculine consciousness. It doesn't, again, your bodily gender doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what genitals you have, or even if you have genitals, or if you're dreaming. <laughs> but you could bring the depth of that consciousness through the physical body. Of course, you could do this at a business meeting. You could do this at other times, too, and there are uses for that. But you could bring it through the physical body in a way that your partner receives it as true. They feel it as present. They feel it as trustworthy. Um, you've done it as an art. It takes practice. You have to do something over and over because you, by tendency, do it through habit, often through past traumas we express our sexuality. So there are arts, you know, artful ways of using your fingers, artful ways of using your tongue, but it, it all is emerging from a softened, responsive core of your body, your, your throat, your heart, your solar plexus, your belly. Your, and, and these aren't anatomical regions, uh, you know, like you might have had your, your stomach removed or a hysterectomy. Or, you know, you, but that doesn't matter. We're talking about just the central part of your body, the central part of your physical being. It can transmit, if you're aware of it, masculine, feminine transmissions if you don't if you're not aware of that masculine feminine difference then you skilllessly just plop sexuality and love through your body like willy-nilly like this is the way i ended up from my parents and my and so it comes out this way but rather than that you and that's what all the books are about you know in detail you can practice specific practices that allow the clarity of these forces to come through. Um, and that's how you grow in intimacy. Instead of just sitting there going, this isn't working, there's, you know, you, pretty much every chapter in The Way of the Superior Man and, and, and uh, excuse me, and um, Dear Lover describes specific ways of doing these things. Now, if you wanted to give me, uh, you know, an, an imaginary specific situation, I could apply it. Uh, okay, so you did a good job of explaining how a feminine essence identified person can reach out 
for her masculine identified partner and say, where are you? I can't find you. But now let's turn the tables, David. We have someone who's masculine identified and says, my feminine identified partner is always like in my face, always wants something for me, just mm -hmm. won't give me the space that I need. Mm -hmm. How would you approach that feminine identified person to learn from this model? What tools can you give the feminine identified human? <laughs> um, okay. In this case, first of all, I would work with the masculine identified human because he shouldn't be with somebody if he feels that way. Um, if it's a he, you know, I'm saying that as a masculine identified person, they shouldn't be with somebody if they're masculine identified unless they ch choose to be. And we could come back to that. I, so let me ask you to be clear, just so I'm clear what you're asking, so we can focus on it. Are you saying? Um, so this masculine identified person feels that their partner's in their face, lots of energy all over, too much, they can't deal with it. Who's my client in this moment? The masculine identified person or the feminine identified person? The feminine. Person? The Got feminine it. identified person is your client okay. in this moment. And so she's saying, or I'm going to say she because it's easier for me to remember that we're feminine identified um, instead of going through that dyslexic thing. But she's saying something like, I can't. He complains all the time. He, again, not necessarily he. My partner complains all the time that I have too much energy. I'm too intense. He wants me to stop talking. He wants me to talk less. He, he needs more space. What's all that about? And I would tell her you know, that the masculine is identified with emptiness, is identified with space. It, its home base is space. So the first thing is to allow her, again, their masculine identified partner to deeply get space. Like, I don't know what that means for that person. We'd go into that, but does that mean to sit alone in a room intensively for 15 minutes? And maybe they never put down their phone for 15 minutes, so they never get that space. So, so she could support him, again, not gender-wise, to the, the feminine partner could support the masculine partner to have deep, silent space to soak in that, to revitalize their battery, their masculine battery in that deep silence. That's one thing. Now, another possibility is that, and, and we have to be careful here because it, it could be understood differently. The feminine person, her, the feminine identified being, her genius, as we were talking about earlier, is the yoga of expressing life force. And in this case, or love, life force, light, right, through the body, in the case of the intimacy. And so, how she, again, not necessarily, how she walks into the room, literally walks in, the angle of her hips, the relaxation of her diaphragm, the tilt of her neck, the sound that comes through her, just a, a moan, oh, you know, as she walks into the room. Those are the things that a masculine-identified person responds to. So... A masculine identified being finds almost any interaction irritating. That's a very strong statement, but they find, to be specific, masculine identified people find the motion of attention to be stressful. So when they have to move their attention from one thing to another, from this to their partner, for instance, from the, the iPhone to their partner, from the book to their partner, from nothingness sitting in meditation to their partner, that motion of attention 
there's almost a pain in it to the masculine. It's just like to move attention, to, to not just simply let consciousness be. So that motion of attention is almost inherently unattractive to a masculine partner. So the feminine partner doesn't understand that because the feminine partner, her body lights up in the motion of attention, in that play of attention. Her, her body's light itself. Light is that which is seen. So it's energy, it's motion itself. So the motion of attention turns on the feminine body. So the feminine body walks into the room, and that, again, I'm going to say she for simplicity. The feminine body walks into the room, and she's all filled with energy, and she feels it as joy. She feels it as happiness. She feels it as love. And the masculine identified person is like, oh, Jesus, how long is this going to take? How long will this be? And he, he again, not necessarily moves his attention up and oh look at her yeah she's beautiful but jesus christ enough 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 now if she understood that the feminine partner understood that that that's inherent to the a masculine identified person that she might walk into the room differently as an art form so rather than expressing her inherent happiness which is a very healthy thing to do a lot of the time maybe most of the time but when you do art, like when you sit down at the piano, you don't bake a cake. It's You focus on an art. So if the art in that moment is intimacy, which is what we were talking about, the art of intimacy, the yoga of intimacy, then she would walk into that room specifically modulating, and by that, I mean artfully, you know, lovingly, sensitively with practice, though, modulating her conductivity of the energy, her tilt of her pelvis, the angle of her diaphragm, the relaxation in her throat and eyes her fingertips her toes she they would all be articulating the elegance or beauty of life force itself and that has a specific grace a specific beauty that is divine and a, a masculine partner would not find that irritating and overwhelming a masculine partner if they were equally as developed would be in awe of that so the fact that a masculine, if she came to me and said, he's complaining, I'm overwhelming, I'd say, great, he's sensitive to your energy. So first thing, make sure he sources in space, uh, you know, depth, space, conscious being, he, he, that's his home base. So make sure he has that to do. But then if you want to, I'm speaking to her now, if you want to take responsibility for your side of the art form of the yoga, of the practice, then you would not necessarily express your, you know, just normal happiness as you walked in the room like you would with a friend, but you would, it's not a friend, it's a moment of art, you know, you, you would artfully, skillfully allow love light to flow through your, every part, your thighs, your fingertips, your everything, and the masculine partner, I pretty much guarantee you would have a very different response Mm -hmm. to that energy mm -hmm. and so there's all what kinds of ways of applying this and again it works both ways like so to come back to your previous question if these were two more balanced people in intimacy if it was two two more balanced people in intimacy they would i'm going to use the word take turns but i don't mean formally but there would be some times when one partner would be overwhelming the other in energy if you will and the then it would reverse and so it would be a much more fluid, but the principles would be the same in the art form, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to summarize for me, David, and this is a big question, but I, I think you can take it. <laughs> the, the most important guiding principles, if someone wants to grow in the yogic art of intimacy, using this model that you've laid out of the charge that's inherent in polarity, what are the most important principles to grow in the art of yogic intimacy? Well, probably the most important would be to relax as who you are as deeply as you're able, to relax to be what you are, to relax as you are without adding anything or subtracting anything, just to simply be what you are. And then from that place, to feel whether you tilted towards silence or tilted towards motion. and as you felt that you would practice in your body the practices required from your body some of those practices would be yogic some would be therapeutic some would be physical therapy some would be anything you'd practice the practices your body requires so that consciousness or the light of being would flow through your body with so much beauty you could transmit your intimate partners you know within seconds just the depth of vulnerable love and trust uh, <laughs> you know that that we're all here to, to share with each other um, so i would know who you are by relaxing who you are i would incarnate that through your body i would do whatever processes you needed to do to incarnate that which you know these what all, all the books are about but these are the basic principles and then offer offered artfully through your body, specifically through that responsive central channel, but then through the whole body. Can you explain to our listeners what you mean specifically when you're referring to the central channel and how that comes into play here, how we're offering through our central channel? Sure. Um, Let's say easier for me so I'll, I'll address a feminine bodied feminine identified bodied person first and you could remind me to do the other side if i forget please or, or however you'd like to go but if i was incarnated and identified with a feminine body um, and again this could be a dream or a, a phase i don't know but in this moment if i'm identified with a feminine body and my partner is not connected to me in loving attention, and specifically if my partner breaks attention, then that creates pain in my body and instantly. So my healthy feminine body would wince in pain in, in whatever specific way it does, but it would wince. My diaphragm would wince, my belly would wince. Now, over a lifetime, especially with trauma and abuse, which so many people, you know, it's commonplace. So we've been pummeled so our central channel meaning our our genital region our pelvic region our belly our solar plexus our heart our throat the whole comes like if you imagine a column down the center of our body um, has become bent and rigid and tight and, and wounded um, it's very difficult for for instance a feminine body to spontaneously show the pain they feel when they're partner isn't present because their body can't show it their body is hurt from the past so 
they would apply whatever they needed to do. And, you know, this isn't about that, but they would get body work. They would do therapy. They would take trauma work. There's all kinds of great work that people could apply depending on what they needed to do so that eventually, and, and sometimes it's quite quick, but so that their throat, let's just say to simplify it, let's just say your throat, your heart, and your pelvic region, meaning your your genital region, your your belly region, but your throat, your heart, and your belly are responsive, meaning when your partner now, your masculine partner, breaks presence and is a feminine body being, you feel that as pain, you know, ah, in your body, it spontaneously shows at your throat, ah, your your diaphragm, and just as spontaneously lets it go. Because the res holding it is a sign of past trauma. So you your body would show a wince and then it would be free of the wince. Now, if you had a masculine partner who is you know roughly as developed as you in their awareness, they would notice that. They would see you wince and they would realize that it just caused you pain. Now it may take a week of that, a month of that. I don't know, people have habits until your partner realized that they were causing this pain every time they blank, but you wouldn't have to mention it to them because your whole body would kind of lovingly, tenderly, vulnerably, responsively express all of these feelings as they move through your body. They wouldn't be held back. They wouldn't be rigidified. They wouldn't need to be verbally expressed or mentalized. They would just spontaneously be expressed. And a masculine person could easily see that and deal with that what they can't usually deal with is the discussion part for certain reasons but so we one way i would suggest then is that a feminine body identified being would allow would do what practices they needed to so their throat their heart and their pelvic region are transparent to meaning they reflect they they conduct they uh like a musical instrument or like a dancer, they show the fluctuating feelings coming through the body, the, the tone of their voice. It's not rigid and modulated like this, but it, it kind of reflects or whatever they're feeling. But so does the tilt of their pelvis. And the, so all of that becomes workable for a masculine being. Whereas if it's hidden behind the inevitable wounds we all carry, you know, if it's not being expressed, it's quite difficult to work with. So is, that's one example of a feminine body person applying a practice to their central channels so it could express spontaneous feelings in a relationship. And then it grows. From, and then let's uh, shift to the masculine identified being. And, and is it the same moment? Like really, I'm a, I'm like a very specific person when it comes to applying these. So he's, I'm saying he, meaning the masculine identified person. Um, what's the moment? He's also working with his central channel okay. to grow in intimacy. Got it. <laughs> Thank you. So he Most masculine identified people live in what I had referred to earlier as a kind of grid. They're not really in the physical dimension the same way a feminine being is. So the very first thing for most masculine beings is to become aware they have a body <laughs> and then to become 
let's, you know, speed this up. They become aware of that central channel we've been talking about. And then again, they learn whatever they need to do to undo enough of the past hurt and trauma and tension um, so that their central, their throat, their heart, their, their genitals could respond in the moment. And then the key for most masculine practitioners is connecting their central channel to their partner's emotional flow or their partner's central channel if they're both practicing that. So that most masculine people have never, I don't know how to say this, felt inside the feminine. They 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 live in a more grid-like reality. They don't understand what it feels like to live in that highly responsive, ever-changing body. So by connecting their central channel, so so I would specifically say, for instance, to allow his throat to feel and um, kind of mirror in a way, even just internally her throat, his heart, her heart or diaphragm, his belly, her belly, and then to use his practice, his breath, whatever he would be practicing, to you know, connect with her and open her. Now, again, most feminine people have never felt a masculine partner do this. They've never felt a masculine partner feel their subtler emotional bodily states inside their own, the other masculine body. The, their masculine body is so disconnected usually that, so that, that's a huge shift in connection. And then I would say for the masculine partner to connect that um, capacity you know, it might take months to do this, but then to connect that capacity to feel her, the feminine partner's central channel with his central channel to actually kind of mirror them, to connect that to his uh, identity with consciousness. So how deeply in that moment is his throat connected to the emptiness, spaciousness of consciousness? How deeply is his diaphragm, his heart, connected or at one with or pervaded by the space of being of consciousness or is it contracted how deeply is his genital region or pelvic region how deeply is this masculine identified being's region connected to their conscious depth there's the pervasion of being and then their body transmits it to the feminine person's body. And so the yoga of intimacy at depth is connecting two bodies in a way that transmits consciousness and light or conscious light through two bodies instead of one. And again, all of these practices can and most usually are done within one body. But what we're describing is how to make sex, which is usually just you know, a mammalian trauma fest into the, an art form that, you know, a transcendental art form, an art form of, deep love and consciousness and so you would a good first step is to open that central channel the pelvic region general region heart region diaphragm region throat region um, to the expression of your realization or relaxation as consciousness and the flow of love like as your body or through you as you David, I just have one final question for you. I pulled a quote out from The Way of the Superior Man, and the quote is that fear needs to become your friend. 
And I wonder if you can speak to that. Somebody who is, you know, listening with us right to this point and says, I'm excited to grow in this way, but I notice fear comes up for me. How does David suggest we grow in the yogic art of intimacy and make fear our friend? Well, again, to differentiate um, therapeutic work from that yogic practice or art practice, again, therapy or healing takes patience. You don't push someone, you don't push yourself into fear when you're healing. It's a different thing. So mm -hmm. if we're talking, I just want to be clear on that because I wouldn't want no, to. No, it's important. Yeah, it's very important. Very important. Yeah. Um, but if one is in the moment practicing the, the art form, not the healing aspect of things, um, but then uh, fear or resistance is actually the sign that you're at your edge. You're at your, you know, like if you're a dancer or a musician or something, and there's something you just can't quite do, there's, it's often because we, we haven't pushed ourselves. Not push isn't even the right word. We haven't explored beyond the comfort zone. So there's a, a little area just at the beginning of that that would be the where fear kicks in. And what, by, by becoming your friend, what I mean is, you don't back away from the fear and go, yikes, no way, I'm not exploring that. But also you don't go, dang it, I'm pushing through the fear. You don't push into it. You make friends with it. You become intimate with the fear. You breathe with the fear. You soften your body with the fear. You go, fear, you're showing me something. You're, you know, you read the fear. You take the fear as a display. Uh, you know, it's a self-display ultimately, of course. And so it's, you're showing to yourself that push-pull right at the edge of where your consciousness is willing to explore, right at the edge of what you're willing to metabolize into love. Um, and so that edge of fear or resistance in the artful practice is one way to play that edge. I'm just referring to that quote you had. So making yeah. friends with fear means you know softening. They're not pushing too far, but also not staying way behind the fear and, and that's how you develop an arc not necessarily how you heal so it's an important and good distinction david there's so much we could talk about your work has evolved so much over the last two decades and at the same time it's all there in the books the books are still uh, relevant powerful and yet underneath the surface so much more also to be discovered well thank you i hope people make use of them. Thank you, Tammy. I've been speaking with David Data. He is the author of the book, The Way of the Superior Man. Just a few years ago, we released a 20th anniversary edition of the book. It's been translated into 20 languages. Also, Dear Lover, A Woman's Guide to Men's Sex and Love's Deepest Bliss. Uh, my favorite book by David Data, it's called The Enlightened Sex Manual and more. David also has a new online membership site. It's data.info if you want to learn more about that. And David, again, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on Insights at the Edge. Thank you, Tammy. Great to talk with you. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, 
hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 24-7.